Pedro Pascal joins Wonder Woman 2. Willa Holland set to leave Arrow. And Harley Quinn takes a trip to Apocalypse. All this and more on the official DC Comics News Podcast. Hello there, DC fans. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News, and I am here with the first official DC Comics News podcast. So thank you all for joining. we got a lot of great news to talk about in the world of DC movies, television, comic books, all kinds of great stuff. So I hope uh, you're excited. Let's just jump right into it. Our first story up today is Pedro Pascal of Narcos and Game of Thrones has been cast in Wonder Woman 2 in what's being called a key role. Uh, There's been no confirmation as to who he's uh, set to play, but there's been a lot of speculation going around about uh, who this character could be. Uh, Some some of them include Vandal Savage, uh, Dr. Psycho, and even Sebastian Belesteros, a.k.a. the Male Cheetah. This is the one that I think is probably most likely, uh, simply for the fact that Kristen Wiig has already been cast as Dr. Barbara Minerva as the Cheetah. So I think it could actually be really interesting dynamic to see both a male and a female version of this. And perhaps, you know, Wonder Woman and Minerva start off, you know, as enemies. Something happens and Belesteros comes into play. And maybe uh, maybe Minerva doesn't like what he's doing and needs to team up with Wonder Woman to take him down. That could be really interesting. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. You know, let me know who you guys might think he's playing. You know, like I said, I've heard a couple of different speculations, but hey, you never know. And who do you think he should play? Who would you like him to play? Also, are you excited for this film? Uh, it's set to come out November 1st of 2019, so we've got quite a bit of ways to go before the film comes out. So, you know, just speculate away. Always fun to do that. Next up is James Wan explains why there hasn't been an Aquaman trailer yet. Now, this is something that a lot of people have been going on about. You know, in this new culture of, oh, you need to have a trailer a year in advance which I think is kind of ridiculous, people get real itchy when you don't get, you know, when you haven't seen that trailer, haven't seen that trailer. But what you have to realize is this film doesn't come out until December. You know, it's got eight months, more a little bit over eight months from now before this film even comes out. So there is more than enough time before a trailer even needs to be thought about being dropped. And in a series of tweets, uh, Juan went on to explain why a trailer for this film has yet to drop. I'm going to read uh, some of the tweets. There's a series of three tweets, so I'm going to read these tweets. It's from at creepypuppet. That is James Juan's Twitter handle. It says, Hey friends, I usually do my best to avoid internet noises, especially fabricated distractions. But a teaser trailer going out this weekend was never in the books. Despite what some claim, it's not because of anyone or any nefarious reason holding it back. It's me. 
I'm simply not ready to share. I'm simply not ready yet to share. This movie is filled to the gills with VFX, and the process is as slow and laborious as a sea slug. Yes, even shots for the trailers take forever to do, and I refuse to put out anything that might be considered as subpar. I know it seems like nothing much is brewing above the sur- surface, but I can assure you we're working nonstop under the waves. P.S. And yes, I plan to use oceanic puns slash references every chance I get. Now, first off, I love James Wan. I love what he's done in his film career, and I love these tweets. They're fantastic, they're hilarious, and they tell you, they get right to the point. It's him. He's always been upfront about it. There was, I remember way back there was a rumor that he was leaving Aquaman altogether. And he, I remember he tweeted out a photo of himself standing up against a big Aquaman mural to pretty much say, uh uh-uh. I'm sticking around. This is my movie. And I'm glad. He's always been right there with it. Tells us, you know, just like it is. And I'm super excited to see what he brings to this. He even, you know, came out and talked about uh, the the underwater uh, talking bubbles from uh, Justice League and how there's not going to be any of that in his movie because that was something that a lot of people complained about. So I'm really excited to see this movie. It comes out December 21st. 2018 and i hope that this you know having this long period of time between you know over a year between dc movies i'm hoping it'll kind of wash the taste away that some of the other films have left in people's mouths and you know as long as it's a great film hopefully that'll be a nice new start you know a fresh you know a fresh start for for dc and their upcoming film slate and they can just move forward from there and just hopefully no more meddling, WB. No more meddling. Next up in the world of DC movies is DC Entertainment President Diane Nelson is taking a leave of absence. Uh, she is set to take an unspecified amount of time off to recharge. And this uh, actually started yesterday, April 2nd. This is something that uh, apparently has been brewing for just for for a little bit she's been probably it seems like she's been getting worn out from everything and warner brothers chief executive kevin suchihara has sent out a memo to all the employees saying after 22 years with the company she wants to recharge as well as have immediate and uninterrupted time with her family this is her decision and the entire senior management team and i support this uh, executives Dan DiDio, Jim Lee, Jeff Johns, and Amit Desai uh, will continue to run DC in her absence. Kevin Suchiharo also went on to say that Nelson has contributed greatly to the company's success and that they look forward to her returning to the studio soon. Now, DC film business underwent a significant shakeup uh, back in December. You know, for those of you who've been following following the news about it, when Warner Brothers Warner Brothers Pictures co-president of production John Berg, who oversaw the making of all the films, stepped down, and then former New Line executive Walter Hamada was put in charge of the DC movies in January. Now, this whole thing that's been going on with DC, this whole like shakeup and everything. Whether it's as serious as some people 
seem to think it is, or it's just, you know, normal, everyday type stuff. People get burnt out. Things need to change sometimes. Who knows? But you cannot deny that the things are happening because it's right there. So there is a lot of shakeup, but they seem to have plans in place and hopefully people like Walter Hamada will be able to step up to the plate and put out some good films. Um, like I said before, they've had it's been a pretty rocky start for them. I love DC. I really, really want DC to succeed in their films. If they need to take a quick step back, maybe lay off the the the, the universe, the shared universe thing. Just make some good films. I, I I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but you know, hopefully they have a solid plan. And they what they need to do is they need to take take a page out of Marvel's playbook and get themselves a Kevin Feige, you know, someone who can just run the division, the DC Films division as a whole. Just they have the the control on it, as opposed to this committee of executives who all have differing ideas and all want to see different things. They need to have one central person, and I, and I thought it was going to be Jeff Johns, but that didn't happen. And I was really I hoped that it would be Jeff Johns. I mean, Kevin Feige and Jeff Johns worked together under uh, Richard Donner, who made the original Christopher Reeve Superman film. Uh, the first two films. And so I, I felt like Jeff Johnson would actually have been a good choice. Now, sure, he hasn't produced all the films that Kevin Feige has and all that kind of thing, but I still think it would have been better to have one centralized figure who can dictate the story of this shared universe and what's going to happen in it and get these filmmakers on board and all that stuff, but it doesn't seem like that's the route they're going to go. So hopefully it'll all work out for them in the end, and uh, hopefully everything will be okay with Diane Nelson, and then she'll be back, you know, soon. And the final story in the world of DC movies is that David Ayer releases a dropped, the dropped Suicide Squad movie plot. Now, Ayer has never been shy since since this film came out about his regret about not making the Joker the main villain of Suicide Squad. And now we know where that story was going to go. Ayer's original plans for the Joker included an entire subplot between Joker, Harley, and the Enchantress that was just completely scrapped. Uh, Ayer explained on Twitter saying... After Joker dropped Harley Quinn from the helicopter and crashed, Enchantress made a deal with him. He was going to take Harley home and be king of Gotham. Harley stood up to him and refused to betray her new friends. The squad turned on him and he escaped. That was her arc, growth and empowerment. Which, honestly, that sounds kind of cool. I would have much rather seen them hunting down the Joker as opposed to this whole convoluted magic storyline with Enchantress and her brother and all this stuff. It just got so messy in the, in that movie, and it was such a disappointment to see it do that. 
But you know, it is what it is. And even like I said, even Ayer said he he regrets not doing this storyline. But you know, you can't you can't turn back time. It is what it is. Hopefully, Suicide Squad two will redeem this series and and make it the type of movie that we really just want to see. Just something dirty, gritty, just like on the street. Just villains beating up villains. Something that I really want to see. Leave the magic and all that big stuff to the Justice League. And in response to reports that he had written the film's script in under a month, so apparently a lot of people had um, been just scrutinizing him, saying, oh, you know, you barely spent any time on the script. You know, it, it only took you less than a month to write that piece of garbage. I've seen all kinds of stuff being said about it. And first off, I want to say, it doesn't matter how long it took you. It could take you a week. It doesn't mean anything. The amount of time that it takes you to write the script doesn't matter. You could write a great script over a weekend, or it could take you a year to write a great script. doesn't matter. That amount of time does not matter if you're able to just write that great script. Sometimes it takes longer. It's just the way it is. But Ayer, Ayer went on to say about that, he said, Spent a heck of a lot more time on it than that. There's an outlining process. I wrote the first draft. There were several major rewrites after that, plus continually rewritten pages as we designed the movie, not to mention adding humor, lines during shooting. It's endless. So, you know, hopefully, like I said, hopefully this new Suicide Squad movie will really just pick it up to a new level and make it the Suicide Squad that we wanted in the first place. So, we'll see. Now on to some TV news. I've got a couple of sto- got a, three stories here for you in the world of TV. And the first one has to do with the Vertigo property Lucifer. Uh, the Lucifer television series has officially cast Charlene Yee in a guest role with a bit of a twist. The House alum will star as a character named Ray Ray, one of Ella's oldest friends. And the only thing is, she's a ghost. So that would, I think that's going to be really, really cool. Um, this episode was actually originally reported f- to be Season 3, Episode 21, which is supposed to take place, I believe, in a couple of weeks uh, after the show returns. However, it looks like now that Fox will be saving the episode for Season 4, assuming that the series gets a a pickup for a new season renewal. And Season 3 will return on April 16th. So, for all you Lucifer fans out there, get ready. It's going to be a good one, I think. Our next story is about actress Willa Holland, who plays Thea Queen on the show Arrow, and she is set to leave the show. Uh, Mark Guggenheim shared with TV Line that she had been angling to leave the series since the end of season four, but had settled for just a reduced episode count for seasons five and six. Okay, now this part is a little bit of a spoiler. Um, In a recent episode, Thea leaves with Roy and Nyssa to uh, destroy a trio of Lazarus pits discovered by her late father, Malcolm Merlin, um, before they fall into the wrong hands. So it seems like this little trek is going to be our farewell to Thea. We're not going to see. It's possible that she'll pop up in a future season for one episode, similar, you know, pretty much the same way that Roy just you know did. 
So it's very possible we'll see something like that. But otherwise, yeah, this seems like this is going to be the end of Willa Holland's Thea Queen and Speedy from the Arrowverse, which is sad. I always liked her character, so it'll be it'll be sad to see her go. Uh, Stephen Amell told TV Line, uh, quite frank. This is a quote from from him. It says, "Quite frankly, the most important thing when you're doing a show like this and you're doing 23 episodes per season." and you're working long, hard hours, you need to make sure that everyone there, everyone that's here wants to be here. And that's absolutely true, you know. If you've got cast members who are just miserable or, or want to move on and do other things, you know, they're not going to give it their all. They're, you know, they're going to, and it's just that, they're not going to give it their all. And sometimes you just got to move on to new things. And even in, in recent years, Amel has attested that Willa was nothing short of professional and excellent and always delivered tremendous performances. But I know that she wanted to move on with her career and I totally respect that. And I'm glad that she's going to get that opportunity. So it seemed like it was something that, you know, it's been it's been coming for uh, the last couple of years and and it's just and now it's just happening. So farewell, Willa Holland. You're always welcome back in the Arrowverse. And lastly, in the world of TV, Vertigo series Astro City is heading to TV. That's right. Writer Kurt Busiak and artist Brent Anderson and Alex Ross's Astro City will be heading to TV. Um, this series started under Image, and but is now under DC's Vertigo banner, and is one of those superhero series that is outside of the normal like superhero continuity. And it is really, it's its own just gigantic universe of, of, of characters. It has over 2,000 original superhero characters and some not, you know, and non-superhero characters. Um, and it is claimed to be the last fully fleshed out superhero universe in the English language comic book business that has not been exploited for the screen until now. And despite the fact that that the comic book's current publisher, DC, is owned by Warner Brothers. Busiek still owns all the rights to Astro City. And that's something that was common when it came to uh, Image Comics. They did a lot of creator-owned series. And then stuff like that that got picked up by other companies like Marvel and DC. It, it, in those contracts, it's still creator-owned. Like They held on to those rights. And for good reason. A lot of a lot of artists, you know, lose out when when it comes to stuff like that. If they move on to other companies and things, and they lose out on that stuff. But Image, you know, a lot of their stuff they made sure it was creator owned, and so that their people could still have those rights to all those characters that they came up with. American Gods producer Fremantle Media North America is is who has acquired the rights to bring Astro City to television. And it's this is something that I'm super super excited about. American Gods was great, and so I'm I'm pumped to see them getting Astro City put out. And I think this can be something you know a big series with a lot of characters. You can do all kinds of stories with these characters, so I think it'll be awesome. Um, Astro City explores the lives of ordinary people and those of the all too human superhumans in their midst and their collective daily struggle to hold on to hope 
in the face of world-shaking, life-altering events beyond any single individual's control. A mid-sized American city blessed with and cursed by the largest number of superheroes and supervillains in one place on Earth, Astro City is described as a unique brand of humanistic saga, part superhero epic, part intimate drama, in which the mostly good-hearted workaday residents of the eponymous locale come into daily contact with the worrisome, the weird, and the wondrous. It sounds pretty good, you know? It sounds like something that you really want to see on TV. I'm pretty pumped for it. So I I think this is something to to mark down, add to your list when it comes out. Busiek and and Rick Alexander will be penning the pilot episode. So I I think it'll definitely be at least start off, you know, true to the series, and, and hopefully it'll stay that way. Hopefully Busiek... Will stay on as like a producer, maybe do some other, uh, write some other episodes and things like that. So we'll see what happens. No release date or, or anything like that yet. So I'll keep you updated when it comes to that. Um, I'm going to move into comic book news and I'm going to stay in the world of Astro City. As the Astro City comic book's final issue has been pushed back a month. Issue number 52, which is which will end the long-running series, was originally slated to for release April 4th, this, this Wednesday, and then was pushed back to April 18th. But it has now been pushed once again to May 16th. Issue number 51 had gotten pushed back and is now coming out uh, this Wednesday on April 4th. The series is scheduled to return, though, as a set of original graphic novels. So don't worry, you'll still get some Astro City in your life. And as far as the comics go, it just won't be in a monthly series anymore. It'll only be in a set of graphic novels. Uh, Busiek went on to confirm all of this by saying, Big news! Today's solicitations feature Astro City number 52, the final issue of the monthly series. But have no fear... We'll be back in the first all-new Astro City graphic novel. More details to come from me, Brent, Alex, and Vertigo Comics. So that's that's pretty exciting. The next story in the world of comic books is Harley Quinn heads to Apocalypse this July. Writer Sam Humphreys will be taking Harley Quinn to the to Darkseid's home world this July when he starts his upcoming run on the Harley Quinn series beginning with issue number 45. Uh, here's the summary for his com- his upcoming run. It says, When Granny approaches Harley with the opportunity to join the, f- the female Furies, Harley reasons that Apocalypse is as good a place as any to start her life over and just the forum to let loose with the chaos she's been trying to keep under control for so long. That sounds pretty pretty awesome, I gotta say. Harley Quinn uh, as a character is up and down for me sometimes, but when it was Amanda Connor and and Jimmy Palmiotti doing the series, I gotta say, it was great. They, They are great. And I love Sam Humphreys, so I'm really excited to see his take on this. And sending someone like Harley Quinn to Apocalypse, 
that's something that you don't that you know isn't normal. You don't see that kind of thing normally. So I, I think this is going to be a really interesting run for her, and I hope that it turns out to be one of her great runs in in the comics. We'll see uh, when it all shakes out in July, though. Humphreys went on to explain that the planet is exactly the sort of environment where a mad woman like Harley could thrive. Uh, He said, For most people to wake up on Apocalypse, you would be filled with dread. Harley, she wakes up on Apocalypse, and she sees the fire pits. She sees the dystopian future. She sees the grinding machinery. She's a wild card on a planet full of wild cards, and there's something for her to embrace there if she so chooses. When she grabs this Kirby-infused hammer, it's going to give her powers like she's never had before. It's going to be... It's going to be unlike any other hammers she's ever had before, and she's a hammer enthusiast. We're going to see Harley use that hammer to kick a lot of butt, but we're also going to see her wrestle over what it make what it means to take on that kind of power. Now, seeing Harley get powers, that's actually really interesting because she is one of those characters that's just she just kicks ass. She just takes swings that hammer. And she doesn't need powers. But to see her with some sort of powers, I don't know what type of powers, but some sort of powers, I think it's going to be really interesting and will definitely help You know, if she has to take on anybody from Apocalypse or possibly even New Genesis. So we'll see what happens with that this July. Our last story in the world of comic books is... DC Comics variant covers the complete visual history hits shelves this April. Now, later this month, Insight Editions and author Daniel Wallace, in partnership with Warner Brothers Consumer Products on behalf of DC Entertainment, will be publishing DC Comics variant covers, the complete visual history, the first ever published collection of DC's variant covers. Uh, It includes insight into the design process from leading comic artists and industry experts. And of course, what's a book about variant covers without its very own variant cover? Diamond Comics Distributors has confirmed that they will be offering a variant cover of this variant cover book done by the amazing Frank Cho. Uh, the book w- is currently available for pre-order on both Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and you can uh, get those links down in the description. And it will be available in comic shops on April 24th. Now, this I recently received a review copy of this book, and it is spectacular. It is huge, to say the least. It is very very big but it is a gorgeous well-made book full of beautiful artwork it spans all types of variants and it does some full page spreads double full page spreads and the sheer size of this book it is one of the things that just has stuck with me as I'm I'm looking at it right now and Having a book this size with the pages, even especially on the, the few that you see with double page spreads, it, it you see the detail so much more than you would ever even see it on the actual issue that you would buy that you would buy it from. 
And it's just some of these some of these pieces are gorgeous. They're the type of pieces of art that you would hang on a wall. There are so many in there that's like I just I want to frame this and put this on my wall. That is how beautiful it is. Now, as far as the book itself goes, it's very well made. Like I say, it's big, it's sturdy. The pages they're thick, well like they're it's it's like a thick, high quality paper. The feel of it is great. The only real criticism about the book itself that I had about the content of the book is that the majority of the variants are from the last decade. So you don't really get much from like the 90s and and, and back and whatnot, which, you know, is fine. There were, you know, a few that I missed, but all in all, if you love art, if you love like covers specifically, but the artwork on these things is spectacular. So if you're a comic book art lover, this is a book that you must pick up. No questions, no doubt about it. Get this book. You will not regret it. And like I said, check the description below. You can get the uh, links to the pre-order for Amazon and Barnes & Noble right now. I'd like to finish off this episode with a little review of a comic that I read from this past week. And uh, this week's issue was, was Gotham City Garage number 12, the final issue. Now this is a fantastic series. I absolutely love it. Um, this is, for me, I like to read the miniseries, the maxi series. You know, you get this 6 to 12 issue story that's just compiled, boom, right there, start to finish, you got this awesome story. And most of the time they take place, you know, in, in, in a different universe than the than the normal DC world. Um I like currently I'm reading uh, Bane Conquest, which is another really good one. I mean it takes place in the normal continuity, but it's a it's a really good series. Um and then I also like I said I started reading Gotham City Garage when it first came out. And what drew me to it, it it seemed like a mix of the DC characters that you know and love, and the world of like Mad Max is dystopian, just desert future where things are just not the way they should be. All your heroes are like riding, are like bikers. It, it, it looked really awesome, and it, and it totally is. Um, now this specific issue for those of you who have been reading it, it, it caps off everything. You finally get the showdown between the women of the garage and Luther and Lex Luther and his forces. You finally get to see that final battle, and it was quite a battle. You know, you had all the women of the garage. You know, you had Wonder Woman, Supergirl. Batgirl, uh, Natasha Irons, Big Barda, all of them. You have, you get to see um, Hawkgirl. You get to see Black Canary and the League of Assassins. You know, you get Lex Luthor. You get the Red Hoods. You get to see Nightwing at one point. You you know, you get Batman in there, Lois Lane. You know, 
everyone is just there and it is just this all-out brawl to see who will survive in the freescape you know will luther take control and wipe out everybody and go back to the garden and just tighten up the screws or will the the, the women of the garage give the word free to freescape and just let it let it all out and just finish this off and it i got to say was very very satisfying to see how it all wraps up um there were a few issues uh, that i had with the with the book um the main story issue i had was the, there was one point where uh kara is fighting lex in his big lexo suit his big mech suit and she manages she's like shooting him with her heat ray and all this jazz nothing and then she manages to just punch a hole right through the like essentially face mask of this gigantic robot exposing luther luther's head is right there and the thing and he's holding her and she could have easily just zapped him with her heat ray just incinerated his head and, and it would have been done and I'm sitting there as I'm reading it. I'm like screaming at at the book. I'm like, just do it. Just do it. And it doesn't happen. And it it ends up backfiring a little bit on her. He almost gets the upper hand on her. It seems like he's going to. He, he blasts her with a kryptonite ray. You know, and she f- flies off. But luckily the other, the other, her sisters just take him down and, and, and just wreck his suit. Um... But it's like you could have just taken him out. But I do, you know, after reading it, I realize after I had, because I wrote my review for this and it's up on dccomicsnews.com right now. You can check that out there, the full review. And I dove a lot deeper into it than I am right now. Um, you know, you can, her character, you know, you know, everything she went through, when you think about it, okay, she probably would not have murdered him like that even if it's what i wanted to happen so i understand and i'm okay with it the other thing that about this book that bothered me is the art i love comic book art as i said previously but i am not particularly a big fan of brian ching's artwork it lacks a lot of definition a lot of detail and it's it was really disappointing to see the final issue of this great book be him completely, like throughout the full book, with with nobody else. So I was kind of saddened by that. I would have loved to have seen someone else do the artwork for you know one of the other, you know, the few other artists that have worked on this series, finish off the the the, the, the series. But unfortunately, it is what it is. Um, I ended up giving this book a 4.5 out of 5 simply because, you know, the art, the main, the main thing that gave that half a point knock was the artwork for me, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't knock it more than that because I just loved it so much. So check out this series, Gotham City Garage. It is definitely something that you need to be reading. So please go out when it hits trade, pick up the trade, just get it, share it. 
share it with your friends, get people to read this story. It is great. It is full of uh, female empowerment, which is awesome. It is it's badass. You see all kinds of cool stuff. And they're not afraid to take take risks. They're not afraid to kill off characters, which I thought was pretty pretty awesome. So check it out, okay? So I, that's all I got for you this week. Thank you for joining me. Again, I am Josh Rayner, the editor-in-chief of DC Comics News. And anytime you need some DC news, check us out, www.dccomicsnews.com. Check us out on Twitter. Check us out on Instagram, Tumblr. We're there, DC Comics News, on all the platforms. So just head on over there and just remember, read more comics. It's it's something that everybody should be doing. And just go to your local, always support your local comic shop. If you've got one nearby, and just like I said, please read more comics.